Yeah, there's actually a lot. Um, there are NFL players. I think there's an NBA player. Um, I know a surfer, not a surfer, um, like a wind surfer um, that does competitions. Um, I've met a race car driver. Um, there's actors and actresses that have it. So there are a lot of people that are well known that have diabetes and are doing things to show kids that they can still do whatever they want to do regardless of if they have it or not. Another season in the books, the podcast featuring current and former professional athletes. They come from all over the world, and many spent their college years studying and playing in the United States. We talk athletics, academics, and because life is so interesting, a little bit of everything else. My favorites, food, and cultural differences. I'm your host, Leslie Knight, 14-year vet in Europe's professional basketball leagues. I played one year in Switzerland, and I'm currently on my 13th year in Spain with the club Movistar Estudiantes in Spain's top women's league, La Liga Femenina Endesa. All right, it's about that time, so let's get to it! Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the pod. Today's conversation is not only fun and interesting, in my opinion, of course, (laughs) but it's also very educational. Do you know anyone who is a type 1 diabetic? Or perhaps you have someone in your life who is, and you might not even be aware of it. Baylor standout and player for the LA Sparks, Lauren Cox, gives us the rundown on her experience as a diabetic, when she was diagnosed, how it changed her life, and what her go-to candies are when she needs a little pick-me-up. Humble, soft-spoken, and the eldest of three younger sisters, talking to Lauren was a real treat. Just by listening to her voice, you might not think she's a force to be reckoned with on the basketball court, but from uh, my firsthand experience, let me tell you, she is. (laughs) Enjoy the pod. She's got a couple stories that I was not expecting to hear, so here we go. Buenos dias, buenas tardes, Lauren Cox. Thank you so much for joining us today on the pod from originally from Texas, but right now speaking to us from San Sebastian, Spain. How are you? I'm good. Thanks for having me. Yeah, well, this is a real pleasure. And, um, you know, ever since we played against each other, and then I looked you up because I'm like, who is this girl? And, uh, and then I, I came to the conclusion that, oh, Leslie, you got your shot blocked like four or five times, but you know, it's okay because she was, uh, you know, she's in the WNBA and she, uh, what well, you were ranked the number one player, I think your senior year of high school. Is that correct? Yes, I was. In the nation. So I feel very honored, you know, I feel honored. <laughs> But um, anyway, thank you for joining us. And just first question to start it off. What is your first sports memory as a little girl? Doesn't have to be basketball. Just the first thing that you remember about sports. I was actually playing soccer um, and I actually have a video of this, but I scored my first goal and I ran into the stands where my mom was and I was like, mommy, did you see that? And I was just super excited and it was just one of those moments that you don't really forget. I think I was probably five years old. Um, But growing up, I played soccer, volleyball, ran track, played basketball, obviously. So I was doing a little bit of everything. That's awesome because you were born in 1998, correct? Yes. So Mm -hmm. uh, 12 years younger than I am. And I think that sometimes we have this stereotype that kids nowadays play one sport and that's all they do. Um, But it's nice to hear that you were doing a little bit of everything. I'm sure once you got to a certain age, maybe you kind of tapered it to just one. I'm not sure. Yeah. So I kind of played a little bit of everything up until I would say middle school. And then I cut it down to just basketball, volleyball and track. And (laughs) then in high school, (laughs) in high school, I played 
uh, basketball and volleyball all four years of high school. Um, okay. And then obviously college, just basketball and the rest is history. <laughs> what was your, um, what do you call it? What was your event in track? I, in middle school, I was doing hurdles, high jump. I was running relays, kind of a little bit of everything. Um, and then in high school, I actually did one year. I did shot put and discus. And I actually still hold the records at my high school for those two. Whoop, whoop, nice. Um, that's, yeah, I've never done, I never did track. Um, and looking back, I kind of, it would have been fun to do relays or something like that. But when it comes to hurdles or high jump, um, even discus or shot put, like those are, it takes a lot of skill, I think. And just endurance track and hurdles. I can't even imagine that. Yeah, it definitely takes a lot of endurance because if you're doing multiple events, they can run like back to back. Like I think in middle school, I was running the hurdles and I was also in the middle of my high jumping. So I would do a jump, I would go run the hurdles, I would come back, do a jump, I would go run the relay, come back, do a jump. So definitely takes a lot. And that's why in high school, I just stuck to shot put and discus because it didn't involve any running. And that was kind of my off season. Sure. Um, but it was just a nice break from basketball. It was fun for me. Being tall, does that help with hurdles? I think it did because hurdles is all about timing your steps in between each mm -hmm. hurdle so depending on which race you're running um if you can take three steps between each hurdle it's quicker than if you have to take four or five steps between each hurdle so sure. with my stride being longer it definitely made it a lot easier and I didn't necessarily have to jump over the hurdle it was more of a step over and that <laughs> makes it a lot faster <laughs> sure um how many yards was it was it like the 50 yard, the 400, I don't know. I did the 300 meter hurdles and then the, I think it was 100 meter hurdles. Okay. 300 meters. So that's almost, <laughs> that's almost a full lap, right? Yeah. So that would be, it would be a straight, a curve, and then another straight. Wow. On a track. Wow. Good for you. I'm, I'm impressed. I never did track. I never did volleyball. Um, I was softball and soccer and basketball, but, um, but yeah, volleyball always seemed really fun. It seemed like everybody that played volleyball had a lot of fun. I've yeah, never heard anybody was, speak badly about it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It was a ton of fun. I mean, that was another thing. It was just a nice break from basketball and I loved the teammates that I had and had a ton of fun with it. Well, that's the other thing I think is uh, great to hear you say, because I completely agree with you. I uh, am a fan of cross training and just kind of getting away from your sport, going, practicing something else, learning new, um, new techniques, using different muscles and not, and also your mind, right? Giving yourself a mental break from, from basketball. So would you say you grew up in a sports-minded family? Were your parents uh, athletes or where does this, you know, where does this ability and desire come from? Yeah, so I definitely grew up in a sports family. I am the oldest of four girls. Um, we all play sports. Both my parents played basketball in college. Um, two of my sisters are in college playing, one's playing basketball, one's playing volleyball. And then my youngest sister is a junior in high school who's going to go on to play basketball in college. So okay. it was a very competitive environment that we grew up in. And um, we had a lot of fun growing up. Yeah. Four girls. That's great. <laughs> um, and okay. So you are about six foot four, six foot five. Yeah. Six foot four. Okay. Yes. And your sisters, where do they match up? So I'm six four. The next one is about six foot. She's actually the shortest. And then the next one is six two. And the youngest is about six two as well. Okay. And your mom? My mom's six three or six two and my dad's six four. Okay. Wow. So you guys don't stand out at all. Oh no. No one ever <laughs> stares at us. <laughs> Um, okay. So very sports minded family, both parents were college athletes, which I think is pretty cool. My parents, um, my mom, she did a little tennis and I think maybe some cheerleading, but I think as, uh, the generations, you know, as we get 
as new generations come up, it'll be more and more common that uh, that players will come from parents that are that have been athletes, which I think is really cool. Um, okay, so I was reading about you on Wikipedia this morning, had to do a little bit of research, and I saw that when you were seven years old, you were diagnosed with diabetes. Um, you said that you were playing soccer when you were five, so when you were seven, I'm assuming that you were still playing soccer and doing a thousand other things. How did that then, did it have an impact on your sports experience as a young girl? Um, it definitely did, and so the reason I even got tested in the first place was because I was actually running summer track at the time and I went from placing in the top one, two, three and to losing every race. So mm. my parents were like, something's up. Um, she's been winning all her races and now she's looking sluggish. She's falling behind. Um, so that's part of the reason why they wanted to get me tested in the first place. Um, and being seven years old, you've, I had never really heard of diabetes before. So I just knew I was going into the hospital. I could see the look on my parents' faces. So I knew it was something serious. Um, and it, it does, it changes your whole world. You, you have to mature very quickly as a seven-year-old kid who doesn't have a care in the world to now counting your carbs, checking your blood sugar, taking insulin every time you eat. Um, so it, definitely changed my entire life. Wow. For a young kid, that's a lot uh, to learn about and to adjust to. Granted, little kids maybe sometimes adjust faster than adults. But um, so you've heard of those books that are like, yeah, uh, learning Spanish for dummies or parenting for dummies. So could you give us, I mean, you kind of just did, but a little summary is like type one diabetes for dummies. So you are di you're diagnosed and then what's going on in your body, your, your sugar levels, your insulin, um, give us a little rundown. So our pancreas, it produces insulin, which controls our blood sugar and my pancreas does not produce any insulin. Um, so when I was first diagnosed, my blood sugar was up in the, I think it was the five hundreds and a normal blood sugar for someone who doesn't have diabetes is 80 to 120. Oh, so okay. it was extremely high because my pancreas wasn't producing the insulin to bring my blood sugar back down. Um, so now I have to wear an insulin pump, which has an infusion set in my body that I can put in my carbs into my device. It tells me the amount of insulin I need to take. And with the push of a button, it sends the insulin through tubing into my body. Um, I also have to wear a continuous glucose monitor, which tells me what my blood sugar is at all times. And if it's going too high, I have to take the insulin to bring it back down. If it's going too low, I have to eat candy, drink juice, just get some sugar in my body to bring it back up. Okay. And please forgive me if these questions are like too personal, but are these things in like in your abdomen region or where do you have to So work? my continuous glucose monitor is on my arm and then my uh, <clears throat> insulin pump infusion set is on my hip. Okay. Wow. And you've, have you had those things ever since you were seven? So when you're first diagnosed, you start off on um, insulin shots. So every time that I was eating, every time my blood sugar was high, I was having to give myself a shot. So the insulin pump, um, after a few years that you can show that you have your blood sugar under control, you can take care of it, then you move on to an insulin pump. And for me, it makes life a lot easier because I change my infusion sets every three to five days, maybe. Um, so that's less pricks with a needle, um, which is good for younger kids. It's good for me now because I'm not a fan of shots. Um, so it just makes life a whole lot easier with insulin pump. Yeah. I was going to say, there's no getting around. If you're not a fan of needles, like you better get used to it. Like there's no excuse. It's just, it is what it is and you have to do it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> wow. So then how, I mean, as a seven-year-old, how does that affect your, your diet? And like now all of a sudden you have to start thinking about what you should eat, what you shouldn't eat. Um, 
how did that affect you? And obviously as an adult too, you, you probably go out to eat and you, you right now it's probably just second nature, but you really have to kind of weigh out, Oh, maybe I should get that and not that. Yeah. So a lot of it depends on where my blood sugar is. So if I have a high blood sugar, I don't want to eat a lot of carbs. So when I do have a high, I tend to eat food that has less carbs, maybe no carbs. Um, And I think a lot of people think when you are diabetic, you have to cut out sugar. You can't eat anything sweet. And that's not necessarily true. Um, I can eat pretty much whatever I want. It just depends on where my blood sugar is and what it needs at that time. Okay. But that's just making me think because so many things have carbs. I mean, fruit has carbs, vegetables probably have carbs. A plate of pasta probably has more carbs than, you know, a bowl of strawberries. But um, I don't know. I I mean, I I don't have any friends that are diabetics. So for me, this is really interesting to just, you know, throw all these questions at you. But it's also interesting to hear you say, like, what people think about diabetes that isn't necessarily true. Is there anything else that you would say that people automatically, we have these stereotypes or these thoughts that isn't the case? I mean, you, you obviously continued playing sports and it hasn't stopped you. Yeah, I think when people don't know a lot about diabetes, they assume that type one and type two are the same and they're completely different. Um, Type one is the juvenile diabetes where most people are diagnosed when they are younger. Some people may be born with it, diagnosed as babies. Um, My sister is actually type one as well and she wasn't diagnosed until she was 17. Mm -hmm. So it's usually when you are younger but there are some cases where you can be diagnosed when you're older. But a lot of people think, oh, you were eating too much sugar as a kid and that's why you became diabetic. But if you look at the research, there's no real explanation as to why people are diagnosed with diabetes, type one diabetes. Mm -hmm. Um, So it does get a little frustrating sometimes when people are uh, put type one and type two together because they are completely different. Sure. I feel like I know it at least that much. I know that type two is usually diet induced from when you're an adult and you're probably not eating um, as healthily as you should. And type one, I always thought was um, maybe more genetic and it's just, it just happens and you can't really control it. But I don't know if anybody in your family, your parents, your grandparents, if anybody had diabetes. My grandpa had type two, um, but that's the only history that we have in our family. And when my sister was diagnosed, it was a huge shock for us. And some people will be like, oh yeah, it's for sure genetic. I mean, you, you guys are kind of proof of that, but that's not necessarily true. Okay. Interesting. Well, thank you for educating us a little bit today. I appreciate that. I wonder, do you know of any other athletes, elite athletes that are diabetics? Yeah, there's actually a lot. Um, There are NFL players. I think there's an NBA player. Um, I know a surfer, not a surfer, um, like a wind surfer um, that does competitions. I've met a race car driver. Um, There's actors and actresses that have it. So there are a lot of people that are well-known that have diabetes and are doing things to show kids that they can still do whatever they want to do, regardless of if they have it or not. Sure. As long as you kind of keep it under control and keep track of your blood sugar levels and whatnot, it really shouldn't slow you down. At least that's what it sounds like. Yeah, exactly. Okay. So then during, for example, during a basketball game, do you have to take insulin ever or? So with my insulin pump, um, it's kind of like an artificial pancreas. Um, so it works with my continuous glucose monitor. And if my blood sugar is going too high, it'll automatically give me insulin without me having to do anything. And if it's going too low, it automatically suspends my insulin delivery. So it kind of works on its own. Um, Usually during games, I tend to go high because my adrenaline is pumping. Um, It's 
intense. And after the game, it could be right after, it could be two hours after, I tend to crash and go low. Um, for example, last night during the game, I was higher and was having to take insulin. And then I think it was three hours after the game, I ended up going low and had to eat some sugar to bring it back up. So usually during games when my adrenaline is pumping, it does go high. Um, but for the most part, my pump kind of does its own thing and takes care of it. Okay. Yeah. That was one of my other questions was just how does, um, exercise, you know, because you're not just doing yoga or Pilates at the gym, you're running around and playing basketball, which is pretty uh, strenuous on your body and how that affects uh, diabetes. I mean, yeah, so the adrenaline thing, but it's crazy because during practices when it's not as competitive as a game, I tend to drop during practices, which is really weird. Um, I, and I blame it on the adrenaline. It could be something completely different, but um, the conclusion that I've come to is that it's just the adrenaline that's making it go up and I don't really have that adrenaline during practice. So it's making it drop. Sure. Wow. Well, if you wouldn't know this about you, you'd never guess anything. You had anything going on, you know, as from the stands as a fan, you would never, you would never know. Yeah. And I, I, that's kind of how I want it to be. I don't want people looking at me and saying, oh, she has this going on. Oh, maybe she had a bad game and it's because of her diabetes. Like, I don't want that to be an excuse for me. I want to show people that, yes, I have this disease, but I can still play basketball at the highest level. Mm -hmm. Well, in college, I saw that, was it once a year, you guys would have a, uh, a benefit, like a game that was kind of a, a tribute to diabetes. And I don't know if the ticket sales went to a foundation or something like that, but how did that make you feel that your team and kind of your school was behind you and supporting, um, supporting diabetes? Yeah, that was really cool. Um, Coach Mulkey, my freshman year was kind of the one that told me I need to use my platform and show kids that they can do whatever they want. So she was kind of the one that helped me open up and start doing that. And we started doing the type one awareness game every year. Um, we would have kids from the Waco area, from all over Texas, come in, come to the game. Um, they could use a discount code to get tickets and they would all sit together. And then after the game, I would sign autographs, take pictures, have conversations with the kids and their families. Um, so that was really important and a very cool experience that I had. And actually my senior year, when, um, after my sister was diagnosed, we actually played against each other for the type one awareness game. So we had a ton of friends and family come. We had, um, they did split shirts where it was half Baylor, half Lovett Christian. Um, so that was really cool, especially because we were both diabetic. Yeah. I read about that this morning. I'm like getting emotional here. That's just, it's, it's pretty neat that you had that opportunity or that you have that opportunity and to, um, have a positive impact on the lives of a lot of young kids who maybe are scared or just don't know. And then they see somebody like you and they're like, you know what, it is possible. I'm going to, I'm going to try to continue doing the best I can. And, um, you know, just because I'm a little different, uh, it shouldn't slow me down. So that's really neat. Okay. So you were diagnosed when you were seven, obviously, you know, you're playing professional basketball now. So you, you continue playing, you get to high school, uh, you have a great uh, high school career, your senior year, like we said before, I think you were ranked like the number one player in the nation. What was the recruiting process like for you? Because I'm sure you had a thousand and one schools coming after you, calling you, sending you mail. Um, and you were going through this process, you know, 12 years after I did. So when I was going through, I, there was no Instagram, there was no um, Twitter. I mean, it was usually calls or I'm just assuming the, the recruiting process has changed so much, but, uh, how was that for you? And, um, how did you end up choosing Baylor? Yeah, it was a little overwhelming. Um, I think it's September 1st or whatever that date is where coaches can start calling you. I made a list of 
maybe 40 schools that I was potentially interested in and just gave let all not necessarily called all of them but just let them know yes I'm interested I would like to get to know y'all a little better um, and from there just started to cut it down um, so I was making calls coaches were coming to the high school to watch practice to watch games um, so it was a little overwhelming um, especially back then I wasn't a huge fan of talking on the phone for a long time so sure. that was kind of another thing I was like okay don't keep me on the phone too long um, I, I kind of made a rule like 10 to 15 minutes at a time because after that you would kind of lose me and I would lose focus and not really be interested in the call anymore. Um, but I eventually got it down to five. I took all five of my official visits. Um, you did. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Baylor oh, was actually, that was your, you take your official visits, your junior year, correct? It was my senior year, actually oh, your senior in year. the fall of my senior year. Yes. Okay. Okay, so you you didn't decide super early because there are a lot of young kids that will decide right away and they're already committed when they're, you know, a sophomore, freshman. Um, so you decided to take all five, which I'm impressed by that because after I took two, I was exhausted. <laughs> yeah, so I took all five and actually all five of my visits were extremely fun. Um, I had gotten to know the, all five schools coaches really well. Um, so they were all super fun. Um, Baylor was actually my fifth visit. Um, I went to Louisville, Tennessee, Notre Dame, and Yukon. Um, so Baylor was my last visit and it was Saturday night. We were leaving, um, the next morning to go back home. And I was going up in the elevator with my parents at our hotel after we had just spent the night at coach Mulkey's house having dinner, um, they did like a karaoke night, so it was a lot of fun, but I was just in the elevator and I was like, I want to go here. I, I want to commit tomorrow. So, um, it just felt right for me. Something just clicked. And, um, in the end, if I had to go back, I wouldn't make another choice. I made the right choice and I will forever stick with that. Okay. And I talked to some players, especially Europeans that are going to the United States who maybe don't go on a lot of visits or don't have the opportunity or commit even without going on a visit. Um, in your opinion, how important is that to see the campus, be on the campus, talk to your coaches, meet your teammates, your future teammates? I mean, that, that's a big part of making a decision in my mind. Yeah, I think it's a huge part of it. Um, you get to see the campus, you get to see where you're going to live your freshman year. Um, you get to be around your future teammates, you get to interact with them. So I think that was a huge part of it. And if people do get the opportunity to, to take those visits, I would definitely recommend taking them. Mm hmm. Okay, so you you commit to Baylor. Did you then feel like you had to call the other schools and tell them no, or how did that work? Because that was not easy. <laughs> yeah, so I told Coach Mulkey, I actually had a photo shoot in the jerseys and everything on Sunday morning. And um, I was taking a picture with Coach Mulkey and I was just kind of like, how does this look? How do I look in the green and gold? And she's like, oh, you look good, whatever. And I was like, well, that's good because this is what I'm going to be wearing for the next four years. And oh. she didn't really get what I was saying at first, um, but it was super emotional, super exciting. Um, so after all of that, we were driving home from Waco because we live about an hour and 45 minutes. Um, so we're driving home. I was going to make an announcement on social media, but I did call all four coaches um, wow. of the other schools before I made the announcement and just thank you for recruiting me. It was great getting to know you, um, but I've decided to go another way. Good for you. That's not easy to do. I applaud you for being like mature enough because now that, now that I have friends that are college coaches, recruiting is a lot of effort and it's a lot of work and you spend a lot of time trying to build this relationship. And um, at least that the player rec, you know, 
recognizes you and says thank you, I think that probably meant a lot and says a lot about who you are as a person. Yeah, I just, I wanted to do it the right way. And I didn't want those coaches finding out on Instagram or Twitter that I was going somewhere else because I did build a relationship with them. And I was getting to know them, was very close with some of them. So I felt that it was right to call them and let them know. Yeah. And how many players, I wonder, over the years have said no to Gino? (laughs) I mean, (laughs) probably not many. Uh, You know, in Tennessee and Notre Dame, I mean, those are, they're all very top academic and uh, athletic schools. It was a tough decision, but like I said, something just kind of clicked for me when I was on my visit. Um, And like I said, all of my visits were extremely fun. I had a great time, Um, but there was just something about it that clicked. And I was like, this is where I need to be. And going to a school that was less than two hours, I think, south of Flower Mound, where you're from, uh, I'm assuming your family was a fair amount of your family or friends were able to come to the games. Yeah, I had some at least someone at every single game, um, whether it was home or away, because Big 12, um, my mom's family is from Kansas and my dad's family is from Missouri. So we had people kind of all over the place. And there was usually someone at every single Big 12 game home or away. Very cool. Very cool. Um, okay, so you get to uh, college. What would you say was the adaptation process for you on court and off court in the classroom? Because I look back and I'm like, man, those conditioning workouts were just a wake up call, uh, early morning workouts, and then going to class and trying to stay awake. Uh, what was that process like for you? Yeah, I think in the summer, definitely those early mornings and then having to go to class right after. Um, that was definitely tough. Um, I would say kind of getting used to Coach Mulkey. Um, she is very fiery, as anyone would know, just watching her. Um, but she knows how to get the best out of you. Um, so just kind of learning from her and learning her coaching style and getting used to that. And also a lot of people don't realize, but when you go from high school to college and you're playing at a high level in high school, you go from the top to being the freshman and being at the bottom again. So um, that is very difficult sometimes mentally and physically. Um, And then in the classroom, I, I wouldn't say it was necessarily harder than high school. Um, I've always been a fairly good student, you know, always study and do what I need to do. So I was kind of used to doing that. Um, It wasn't necessarily any extra work that I needed to do. So I didn't really have to adapt in that aspect of it. Okay. And were you a communications major? Yes, corporate communications. Okay. Did you always know that that's something that you wanted to get into or how did you, you know, decide on what you wanted to major in? Um, No, I went in undecided. Um, I honestly didn't know what I wanted to do. Um, I am not a huge math person, um, but I can write you a 10 page paper in an hour and a half. So that kind of, um, helped me decide I was, I didn't want to take too many math classes. Um, and I wanted to do something that could help me in a lot of different things in the long run. Um, so corporate communications, it's pretty broad. It's not specific to one thing. Um, so I think I definitely want to stay around the sports world once I'm done playing. Um, so with the communications, maybe that's sports broadcasting, journalism, maybe something like that. Mm -hmm. I was a communications major as well, not specifically corporate communications, but uh, part of me always wonders like, you know, you were in college from 2016 to 2020? Yes. And I was in college from 2004 to 2008. So just, you know, a tad bit of a difference. And I wonder, (laughs) I just wonder how much like the communications world changed you know, from when I was in school and to where, what you studied, you know, I'm sure it was, it's just completely different now and not even that much time has gone by, but, um, okay. So 
freshman year, you come in, you do really well. I was looking at you today on Baylor basketball, you know, dot com. Uh, your senior year, well, 2019, we can't forget about that, but you guys were NCAA champs. Yes, we were. That was, oh my gosh, a dream come true. Sometimes when I think about it, I, it doesn't even feel real sometimes. Like it's, it seems like a dream. I can't imagine. I cannot even imagine. Who was the game against? Notre Dame. Okay. So one of the teams that you were thinking about going to, (laughs) (laughs) what was the final score? Do you remember? I think it was, it was either 81, 80 or 82, 81. Oh, so you guys one by one. Down to the wire. And I actually got hurt in the third quarter of that game. So I didn't even get to finish the game. Um, which was nerve wracking, um, being on the sideline, not being able to go back in. Um, but I'm just, I'm glad we pulled it off. <laughs> was it a game winner shot or were you guys up by one? They had a chance to score and you guys got to stop. So Chloe Jackson, our point guard, she went in for a layup. Um, I think there were three seconds maybe on the clock. So she had the layup, um, And then I think that put us up two, and I think we actually ended up fouling. So it puts Arike Gumbawale at the line. She missed her first one, made her second one. So we were up by one with about, there might've been less than a second on the clock. Oh man. Yeah. Wow. (laughs) And where was that game played? Uh, Tampa, Florida. Okay. I just, March Madness, the NCAA tournament, the furthest I ever got was my freshman year. We went to the Sweet 16, but I didn't even step on the court. I mean, I warmed up, but I didn't get any playing time. Um, and it was just so magical. So fun to have the the school band was there, you know, in the, uh, in the hotel, all the fans. Um, but to make it all the way to that final game, um, and, you know, however many people are watching you on television, and then the confetti and the the award ceremony and then the days afterwards you're just probably in a cloud of happiness I mean what like looking back on that was there anything specific that you that stands out in your mind or that you didn't expect or that you were like wow this is what this is like or what were the like the following days what what was it like so I think the game was on a Sunday and like I said I had I injured my knee and I the way that it looked, the way that it felt, I thought I tore my ACL. Um, And I think everyone in that arena thought the same thing. So it was kind of mixed emotions after the game. Um, Okay. Obviously I was extremely happy, but I didn't know what was next. Um, We flew home that next day. Um, It was a Monday. I got an MRI the same day and I was just super nervous the whole day. Like I couldn't sit still. I was just waiting for the call from my trainer. Um, but it ended up being a sprained meniscus and a bone bruise, um, which a lot of prayers answered. Um, so ended up just taking a few months off in the summer. Um, obviously I was still in some pain, but winning and having that trophy makes that a whole lot better. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. That's an interesting kind of experience. A little, you know, bittersweet because I'm sure you were extremely excited and happy, but at the same time, your mind was thinking about your knee. Uh, And was that your junior year then? Yes. My junior year. Okay. So you had one more year. Uh, Your senior year comes along. You, I want to say, what did I read? You were the fourth player in Baylor history to receive four All-American awards your senior year? I honestly don't know. (laughs) (laughs) Something like that. But what I'm getting at is that by the end of your senior year, I am sure you knew that you were probably going to get drafted. Um, And I'm assuming that's kind of what what you were wanting to do was go play in the WNBA, correct me if I'm wrong. But being drafted for dummies, you know, we did it for diabetes now for the draft. What is that whole experience? Like, did you, I'm sure you, people were talking to you. Maybe your coach was telling you, Hey, Lauren, you're probably going to be drafted. Did you know who was going to draft you? Did you know when, um, I'm assuming you went to the draft party. Is that what it's called? So if you go back to 2020 on 
this day in 2020. Oh, no. The so pandemic. Happy. Yes. I completely. So, <laughs> yes. On this very day. March 12th. March 12th. Yes. Um, and it's crazy. It's actually my anniversary with my boyfriend as well. Oh so in 2020, March 12th, it, again, bittersweet for me. Um, we were at the airport about to leave to go to Kansas City for the Big 12 tournament. And we're on the plane, we're about to take off and Coach Mulkey gets a call and is like, y'all need to wait. We're having a meeting up in Kansas City. We don't know if we're gonna play. So we get that call back, we get off the plane. Um, I think it's a Thursday um, and it's, I think it's spring break. So we, some of us head home. I think I'm just going home for the weekend. I'm gonna come back on Monday. I drive the hour, 45 minutes back home. I'm home for about an hour and we find out the rest of the season is canceled. So I am home with a small suitcase packed for the weekends. The rest of my stuff is still in Waco and my season is over. I don't even, I didn't even play in my last game. Like I played in my last game without even realizing it, it was my last game. Um, so that was extremely emotional. Um, I, any seniors that year, like it, it sucks for us because that's just, it, it sucks. I mean, that's the best way to put it. We, like I said, played in our last game without even knowing it. Um, so I, stayed home. I did my classes online and then into the draft, we had the draft at home. So I didn't even get to go to New York, go to the draft party. Um, I mean, we made the most of it. All my sisters were home. Um, we all got dressed up and had a bunch of decorations, that kind of stuff. Um, so we definitely made the most of it, but it, it definitely sucked that I didn't get to go through the actual draft experience. I, that didn't even occur to me. The majority of, the majority of people that I interview are older than you are. And so I, that just didn't even enter into my mind that, yeah, 2020, that's when COVID hit. And right at around March 12th, my season was canceled as well. None of us thought it was going to be canceled for, you know, the rest of the season. But for you guys, Oh, I, I thought about that a lot for seniors in college because it's such a special year and it's so fun. And especially for you guys that you're, you're such a good team and you've got all this, you know, like these promising games ahead of you. And, ah, oh, Lauren, I'm so sorry. I, <laughs> I don't mean to like throw salt in an old wound or something like that, but, okay. <laughs> oh, geez. I, I'm a little speechless right now because I'm just trying to even I'm, I'm just trying to process what that was like for you. Um, it was extremely difficult. I mean, uh, I, I think I sat on the couch and just cried about it probably for 30 minutes after I got that text. Uh, I would cry for more, I think. I mean, I would throw myself <laughs> a, I would throw myself a pity party for like, I don't know how long. Uh, I think by that time I had run out of tears. <laughs> so, but okay. Did you know that Indiana was going to draft you or did you have no idea? So it was either Dallas or Indiana. So I knew one of the two. Um, I had talked to them. I had talked to, I think, New York, Atlanta. Um, so I had talked to a few different coaches. Um, and then in the end, it ended up being Indiana. Okay. So you went and played for the fever for one year and then um, one and a half, I guess I was halfway through my second season when they waved me and okay. then was picked up by LA. Okay. And that must be a whole different experience, you know, being a professional and just getting like, all right, we're sending you off to another team in the middle of the season. <laughs> well, that, so that was on a Sunday that I was waved. Um, I went home, packed up my apartment. Um, I had my car there. So I drove four and a half hours to Missouri where my Mimi lives. Um, I stayed with her. Is that your grandmother? Yes, that's my dad's mom. Your Mimi, okay. 
Yes, my Mimi. So I stayed with her Sunday night, Monday night, and then left Tuesday to drive the eight hours back to Texas. I was about four hours from home, maybe. And my agent calls and she's like, LA wants you on a plane tonight to head out there. Like, oh my gosh, I'm not even back home in Texas yet. So I get home and I have about an hour to unpack my car, pack a couple suitcases and head to the airport. And then by the end of the night, I was in LA. Wow. Just wham, bam. Thank you, ma'am. Like keep it moving. (laughs) Wow. So I don't know you, I mean, now you're so young, but you've lived in quite a few different places. Um, Differences between, you know, Flower Mound, Texas, a town of what, about 75,000 to then, you know, Indiana, and then all of a sudden LA, which is like for a lot of people around the world, LA is Hollywood, you know? Yeah. Um, Yeah. I mean, I loved Indianapolis. I have nothing bad to say about it. I love the city. Um, And then it's completely different from LA, but I also loved LA. Um, I was living in Marina Del Rey, um, which is beautiful. I was a five minute walk from the beach. Um, So I've loved every city that I have lived in so far. Yeah. So when you were in LA, you were playing with Nia Coffey? Yes, I was. Okay. We went to the same high school. Oh, really? Yes, but I'm quite a bit older, so uh, (laughs) we never played on the same team, but she would come to basketball camp when she was just a little girl, and I was like a senior in high school, you know, so I I know her family and her brother and her sister and, um, yeah, small world, but... um, Oh, cool. So then, okay, so you've got two years of WNBA under your belt, um, and then... Is this your first experience overseas? You're this year in Spain? Yes, it is. Okay. So I was in Turkey for about a month um, in the month of October. Um, Didn't really work out. So I came home and then came to Spain. Okay. So you've been here. You were signed just a couple months ago. I got here December 26th. Oh, wow. The day after Christmas? Yeah. <laughs> so you literally flew out on Christmas Day? Uh, no, I flew out. Well, I guess maybe I got here the 27th. I flew out the 26th. Okay. Okay. Well, what, uh, now that a couple months have gone by, what are your impressions of San Sebastian? Beautiful city. Yes, it is. I love it here. Um, I love the team, the coaches. Um, all of our teammates get along really well. Um, it's a fun environment. The city, like you said, is beautiful. Um, so I've loved every bit of it. Okay. And the food, um, I mean, I know you're a diabetic, but I'm sure that you have tried some of the pinchos in San Sebastian or different things. Um, do you have any, I don't know, any things you've enjoyed, any typical Spanish food that you've enjoyed? Um, I tried tortilla for the first time the other day. And when I think of tortilla, I mean, it's what you wrap the tacos up in. So they, we had it, um, we had a birthday the other day and one of our teammates brought it for her birthday. And she's like, this is tortilla. I'm like, what are you talking about? That's not tortilla. Um, (laughs) But I learned that that's what you call it. There's a bunch of different kinds. um, And it was actually really good. I really liked it. Okay. I, uh, I challenge you to try to make your own tortilla because it's, it's not easy. It's, uh, you know, like this potato and egg omelet. But Mm. at one point, you know, you have to like, you have the frying pan, you put a thing on top and then you have to flip it. And then you like slide it back onto the frying pan. And your first experience doing that is always interesting because you never know if it's going to just fly out everywhere or. (laughs) Yeah, that sounds very difficult. (laughs) Yes. But it's funny to me because Spaniards, they don't understand a life without tortilla, you know, for Mm -hmm. them, it's like, what do you eat? How how do you survive Uh, in the United States without tortilla? I'm like, I don't know. We eat other some of us. Uh, some of the Americans were asking, okay, would you rather have like chicken wings or tortilla? 
All of them said tortilla. Would you rather have pizza or tortilla? All of them said tortilla. I'm like, I don't know if I could live without pizza. <laughs> true. Very true. Um, well, and what do you think about the Spanish league? Did you know much about it before you arrived? I did not. Um, but my agent said that it was very competitive. Um, there were a lot of good players here and now being here, I'm seeing that, that it is a very competitive league. Um, I know a lot of people just over the years playing basketball that are now here. Um, so I've really enjoyed playing in this league. Mm -hmm. I've heard that it's one of the most competitive leagues in all of Europe. Um, the Spanish. I believe that. Yeah. Yeah. Because it's, I mean, teams that are lower on the rankings, you know, they could have a good night and they could end up beating a team that's higher up. You just kind of never know. I mean, you have your top teams, Salamanca, Girona, Valencia. Mm -hmm. I'm really interested to see what you guys are able to do in the Copa de la Reina. Um, but it's like, it's, it's kind of anybody's, uh, I don't know what word I'm looking for. Anybody's yeah, in, in anybody's grasp. <laughs> yes, exactly. Exactly. Um, <clears throat> okay, well, we are getting towards the end. I've pelted you with quite a few questions so far. So, um, well, two more things. I know this is only, you've only been overseas for a little bit of time, but what do you think some of the obstacles are that college players who play overseas will have to kind of adjust to or face during their first, you know, the first year, the second year, the third year, um, what do you think some of those obstacles are? I think for me, the biggest thing is being away from friends and family um, and having that time difference where there's only a certain window that you can talk to them. Um, I'm super close with all of my sisters, um, both my parents. So I think for me, that's the most difficult thing. Um, and then I think the next thing is, um, the language barrier. Um, I took a little bit of Spanish in high school and college, so I know a little bit um, enough to get me around and stuff. Um, so being in Spain actually made it easier for me. Um, some other countries are probably more difficult. Um, and then I think the food um, is another thing, but I, I've found some stuff that I like here. Um, I do cook a lot. Um, just basic stuff, nothing too fancy. Um, but I think those are the three main things that are the most difficult for me. Well, and where you're playing now, did you even know anything about the Basque language before you got there? I did not. Um, when I did a little bit of research before I came, I saw that it was Basque country um, and it's one of the oldest languages in Europe. Um, but now hearing it and seeing some of the words, it seems extremely difficult to learn and understand and everything. Yes. And you're not the only one that feels that way. I mean, even Spaniards uh, that don't live in the Basque country are just blown away. And I think um, I've read a little bit, I've traveled around in the Basque country, but it's like, nobody even knows where it came from. Like the origins of this language are just completely, it's not anything like Spanish. It's not anything like Chinese. It's not anything like French. It's not anything. I mean, it's just this complete, it's on a whole different level of just craziness. So yeah, it's, it's a mystery. It's definitely a yeah. mystery. Um, and it's, yeah, I, I, I remember when I first got to Spain and we used to play in 2009, uh, San Sebastian was in the second division and I was playing in the second division. And I remember just showing up and looking at how they said locker room, you know, how those, how those words were spelled. And I was just like, what in the world is this? It's not Spanish. It's not English. It's on a whole different level. Yes, it is. It's a lot of K's. And um, T's the, and X's. And X's and Z's. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So this, that's, that's interesting. But your coach, I mean, she speaks Castellano, like regular Spanish, but does she also speak a fair amount in Euskera? I don't know. Um, <laughs> I've never heard her speak Spanish. Um, so I'm not sure. Um, and sometimes communicating with her is funny because it's like Spanglish, a little bit of Spanish, a little bit of English. Um, 
and like I said, I understand some Spanish and can speak a little bit. So it's always fun and funny trying to communicate with her. Sure. And you guys have a fair amount of foreigners on your team. So English is probably spoken quite a bit and other teammates like Yure, she speaks English really well. So um, that's yeah. nice. That's nice. Okay. Rapid fire. Er, okay. So those, some of the obstacles, what do you think are some of the benefits to playing overseas that you know, players that if you just stay in the U.S., you might not ever experience? I would say getting to travel is the biggest thing. Um, Back when we had a break, I guess it was about a month ago, maybe. Mm -hmm. um, I went to Budapest, Paris. um, So just being close to other countries and how easy it is to travel in Europe. I think that's a lot of fun. And you just get to experience new things. I mean, who would have thought that I would end up in San Sebastian, Spain, if it weren't for basketball? Right. Exactly. Yeah. Europe is so beautiful. It's got so much to offer. Flights are relatively cheap and not that far away. I mean, it's just in an hour or two, you can be in Budapest and then in Paris. Um, Well, good for you for taking advantage because that's always something that I'm an advocate for because some people come over and they spend a lot of time in their bedroom and they don't get out much. And I just think, ah, you know, go for it. Go see stuff. Experience it. Yeah. Yes. Um, Okay. Rapid fire. What's your Jersey number and why? So here it's five, um, but I usually wear 15. Um, 15 has kind of always been my number since I was little. Okay. Um, what is your, what would you say is your go-to move on the court, your bread and butter? Um, I would say turnaround jumper on the block. Okay. Very difficult to defend. I mean, because with your arms up, you know, I was not able to block that shot, <laughs> of course. Um, okay. Good deal. Is there any sort of food product that you bring with you in your suitcase that you know that you're not going to be able to find in Turkey or in Spain? I brought um, a couple of different spices. So I brought taco seasoning and then Tony's Cajun seasoning. Okay, nice, <laughs> nice. Um, when you were a little kid, what was your favorite board game? Ooh, um, sorry. That one was you so fun. That one? I love yes. that. <laughs> you like hit the little bubble in the middle. Yeah. Yes, okay, good. That was, that was one of mine too. Um, and favorite television show as a little kid? Um, I would say SpongeBob. <laughs> the last person that I interviewed was a guy named Johnny D, who plays for our men's team here in Estudiantes, and he said the same thing, SpongeBob. <laughs> I think I missed that boat. It was a little, it, I'm just too old for SpongeBob, and I never really watched it, but I hear people yeah. really like it. It was just one of those things. It was like a stupid little show that you just kind of put on and you could either watch it or just have it on in the background. But I was talking to somebody else about it yesterday and they were telling me, they're like, yeah, it's great for kids because they love SpongeBob and they love uh, his friend, the starfish, whose name is Patrick. (laughs) Patrick. Um, But then they were telling me that there are lots of like adult level messages kind of in the show, but little kids, they just watch it and they don't even kind of, realize or understand yeah I see a lot of those on social media and I'm like I would have never seen that if no one pointed it out (laughs) right right um three things that you tend to have on your bedside table um so candy in case I have a low blood sugar in the middle of the night um let's see chapstick and um I have this pillow mist that like helps me sleep. It's like, um, it's from Bath and Body Works, but it's like their aromatherapy line. Um, And it, you just spray it on your pillow, your blanket, whatever. Um, And I think it actually helps. Is it like a lavender scent or? Um, Yeah, I think there's lavender. um, I forget what else is in it, but it's just like soothing and kind of helps you relax. Okay. And can I ask you what, what type of candy do you usually like to eat when you need some? Um, right now I have, um, nerd gummy clusters. 
I don't know if you ever heard of those. <laughs> um, they're like a little gummy candy and they're surrounded by nerds, um, but they're like little small bite size. Um, sometimes I eat Skittles, um, usually any kind of gummy candy okay. is what I like or do you, juice. Do you bring that over with you from the States because nerd gummy candy? Yeah. I don't know if I've seen that here. Yes, I definitely bring it from home. <laughs> <laughs> okay. And in the middle of the night, like, would you wake up? Like, how do you even realize that your blood sugar is low? So sometimes my pump will tell me, um, it vibrates. And if I don't, um, press a button on it, it'll eventually start making noise. So it usually wakes me up. Okay. Okay. So then how does your dentist feel about this? <laughs> I have never had a cavity in my life. Wow. <laughs> Good for you. Holy. Um, okay. Superstitions. Do you have any? Um, no, not really. Okay. And anything specific that you might do to prepare you for a game? Um, I would just say making sure my body is ready. I'm feeling good. Make sure I'm stretched. Um, go through my pregame shooting routine and when I'm ready to go. Okay. And these questions are just coming to me right now, but have you, are you re-signing with Los Angeles? Are you playing again for them? Yes. So I have re-signed with them. Um, so after the season here, I will go there and um, go to training camp and see what happens. Are you able to even go home for a little bit first? Um, if I do, it's going to be to go home to get more diabetic supplies um, because I just packed for this season. Um, so um, okay. So you said you'll probably go home to refuel, restock on diabetic uh, medicine before heading off to Los Angeles. Yes. How do you feel about, yes. how do you feel about um, being teammates with Cam Beige? Um, I think it'll be fun. I mean, she's a great player. She plays with a lot of energy. Um, so I, it'll be fun. I'm excited and hopefully I can make the team and get to play with her. And you are playing in your first Copa de la Reina Queens Cup. And I believe you guys start against Salamanca. Yes. Okay. And well, Katie Lou, I don't know if she'll be there or not, but she is on your, she's on the Sparks as well. Yes, she is. Um, I, so I played with Carly um, last season before she went to Seattle. Um, so we got to know her a little bit. And I've actually played with Katie Lou on a USA team back when we were both, I guess we were both in high school. Um, so I've known them for a while. Um, so I'm excited to play with her in LA and hopefully she can get healthy as soon as possible. Yes, hopefully, fingers crossed. Um, and last question. So my final game as a professional athlete was against you. <laughs> did you have any idea about it before you started the game? Uh, yes, I did. Um, some of the Spanish girls were talking about you and how, what a great career you've had and how you were expecting a baby and this was your last game and everything. So I did know beforehand, um, I was a little scared, to be honest. I didn't want to like bump you or anything. I was like, oh my gosh, I don't want to do anything that could hurt you. Um, so I was a little cautious about it. <laughs> well, it's funny you say that because honestly, I was like, didn't know if I wanted the club to announce it before my last game because I didn't want the other team or even my own teammates to feel like they couldn't practice the same way or they couldn't play the same way. Um, but of course they wanted to announce it so that people could come and watch me play if they wanted to and whatnot. Um, but that's, that's interesting to hear your point of view, because I would probably think the same thing. Like it's not every day you play against a, you know, pregnant woman. Um, yeah. and some, some people in the WNBA have done it, but when I was reading about players it was like Skylar Diggins was pregnant for 14 weeks and she didn't tell anybody anything. Yeah. I think that's crazy. I, I would be too scared to do that. I mean, and at the level that she's at, like, but that's the whole kind of women and our women's rights and, you know, saying something, how are you going to be treated, your contract, your benefits, this and that. Um, I can understand it, you know, until 
until everything gets a little bit more, um, I don't know, fair or our rights are written in stone and we know what we're getting into, I can understand that she wouldn't want to say anything. But wow, I just think she's a warrior. <laughs> yes, for sure. <laughs> so anyway, yes, my last game as a professional athlete, and I think you blocked my shot at least three or four times. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry about that. <laughs> no, I, I remember because I like the turnaround jump shot too. And I remember I was on the post, like right in front of our bench. And I thought, okay, she's really tall. She's probably not that quick. I'm just going to do it and see if I can get it off. And it was like, what? <laughs> I was like, okay, Leslie, that's not going to work. And then I think I tried at least two more times and nope, not going to work. And then, <laughs> and then I saw, you know, everything that I read about you this morning and I was like, you know what? It's an honor. It's an honor to go out <laughs> my last game playing against the best of the best. So thank you, Lauren. I appreciate it. <laughs> but anyway, thank you so much for your time. We've already been on here for an hour. So, um, yeah, you don't, we don't even know each other, but I really appreciate hearing your story and learning about diabetes. And, uh, I wish you the best of luck in training camp. Yeah, thank you so much. And thank you for having me. Yeah, I mean, of course, the pleasure is all mine. So enjoy the rest of your weekend. And um, we'll be in touch. I'll be following. All right, great. Good luck tonight. Thank you. All right, that wraps it up for this week. Thank you so much for joining us. One quick thing, I always end up having more questions for my guests, usually immediately after we hang up. But I wonder what fellow residents of Flower Mound, Texas can tell me about their city. Is there really a massive mound of flowers in the middle of town? Or perhaps it's probably just a large natural park. But I did want to ask Lauren that and I didn't get around to it. So me and my questions, I know, but I am just curious. Lauren's story was great. And it's crazy because she's not even a quarter of a century old. So her story is still in the making. And, you know, I wonder where else basketball will take you, Lauren. I'm sure there are many places um, in your future that you will be getting to know and people you will be getting to know. But um, on a different note, my heart goes out to all the seniors of the 2020 class as we continue to see... Uh, this world we live in can be very cruel and unpredictable. Beautiful at the same time, but difficult and gut-wrenching nonetheless. Perhaps that's not here nor there, but um, man, the times we're living in. Uh, pivoting, <laughs> this is the end of the show, so thank you for tuning in. And before you go, do me a quick favor and head on over to Apple Podcasts and rate the show. Five stars would be fabulous. It'll take you just a minute and believe it or not, but your support can actually help get the word out to future listeners. And that's it for this week. Signing off. I'm your host, Leslie Knight, wishing you all a safe and healthy week. Hasta luego.